0: Father, we thank you for your perfect word delivered and preserved in the Bible for us. We thank you that it contains the words of life, the words of blessing, that we if we submit ourselves to it, we, we get to walk in the way that you have designed us to walk. But some some sections of your word are real encouraging and uh, exciting and makes us just want to run out and do what it says and others. Uh, Go against the grain of either our own sinful hearts or the way that we've been conditioned by society, and sometimes they're hard to swallow. But I pray that you would soften the hearts and the minds of the people here this morning, that we would be able to receive what it is that you are bringing to us in your word. We know that you are the greatest authority in the universe; that you've given us your word as an authoritative word, and we want to submit ourselves. To it so that we can be shaped and conformed to it rather than conforming ourselves to this world or the things that we would think are are great but are actually imposterous for you and your plans which are the truly great things so lord we thank you for thank you for your word and we pray that you would nourish us feed us on it this morning in jesus name amen we have been working through the book of ephesians in the new testament now All summer, we've got three more weeks after this, then we will jump back into Acts, Lord willing. The book of Ephesians is divided up into the first section, which is kind of the big theological arguments, the things you need to know, and the second section, which is how you need to live based on it. In the middle of that second section is this incredibly practical, focused right at you section on family relationships. And so this is a mini-series inside of our larger series dealing with family structure and relationships. But we're still part of the whole big picture of Ephesians. And one of the ways that we've been trying to interact with Ephesians this summer is by memorizing a large chunk of it. So Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Some of you have been doing a great job. Keep going. Others, you've got some serious catching up to do, but it's not too late. You can do it. Today, I want to introduce you to the final verse in that section, and then next week we'll do it again, and then we'll see if we can do the whole 10 verses together. So, Caleb, would you please put on the screen Ephesians 2.10, and we will read it together as a congregation a couple times through. And then we'll try to close our eyes and and do it from memory. So hopefully some of you already have this in your heart. So this is Ephesians 2.10. Let's read it together. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I know if you're just jumping in, we're we're picking up right at the end, in the middle of a sentence and all that. Um, You can read the verses before it to get the context but this is the, the culmination of that memory passage. And it talks about us being created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So they're not our d- ideas, it's not our initiation. God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's, let's try it again, read it off the screen one more time, then we'll get into our sermon for this morning. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, you want to try with your eyes closed? All right, eyes closed. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, great. So if you got a Bible, please open it up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 978. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 is where we're going to start. But first, let's get you up to speed a little bit on current events. There was a significant transfer of power this week. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Anybody? What? King Charles III now replacing his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. So just... A couple pictures here. Here's the queen from a few years ago when she was still wearing her very bright colored outfits that she was a little famous for. This is not the only major transition, though, in Great Britain this week. Because two days before the queen died, she officially rep- recognized Liz Truss as the new prime minister in England. This was a huge week for England. So this next picture is Liz Truss, who you probably have never heard of before this week. Almost nobody in America, and actually a lot of people in Great Britain didn't know anything about her until suddenly, boom, there she is as the prime minister. For us, it's weird in our representative democracy to think about, you know, there's this monarchy, and now King Charles is technically the highest authority in the land, and yet the elect members of parliament and the majority parliament party somehow selects a prime minister and is in charge of everything but is still under the king, and it's weird to think about how that works. Things are changing significantly in England because of this. Now, why do I bring this up? Charles III, who's our third picture here, is now the highest human authority in England, in Great Britain. I consider this to be a bad thing. So his mother, had a strong Christian faith, and she infused that faith into her leadership and would speak publicly, especially in her Christmas addresses, about her orthodox Christian faith. Charles has shown himself to be a morally bankrupt man who really cares nothing for the God of the universe and couldn't couldn't even mention the word God or the word prayer in his announcement of the death of his mother. In his younger years, he was a womanizer, using women for his pleasure and his gain. His great uncle, speaking to him as a young man, said this to him. This is really how he lived the first few decades of his life. His great uncle said to him that a man of his importance, quote, should spread his wild oats and have as many affairs as he can before settling down. But for a wife, he should choose a suitable, attractive, and sweet-charactered girl. Now, ladies, I don't know what goes on in your heart and your mind when you read or hear something like that. The instructions of an older man to a younger man to essentially use women. It should repulse you and make you want to run away from that kind of person. A husband is designed by God and called by God to love and cherish and care for and sacrifice himself for his wife. That's what we looked at last week in Ephesians 5. It's a lofty challenge, but Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lays it out clearly for us in Ephesians chapter 5. Men are meant to live self-sacrificial lives for the good of their wives. Ladies, if you are in Christ, you are a daughter of the king of the universe. You are a royal princess. And it is my prayer that your husband or your future husband will treat you as such. We're going to read now this whole section of Ephesians 5, which we read last week. And we're going to talk briefly about the guys to summarize last week, but then we're going to focus in on the ladies. So let me just read for you, starting with Ephesians 21, which actually picks up in the middle of the sentence. It's pointing back to the other stuff, which you can read later. But he gives this overarching idea, Ephesians 21, 521, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on to describe what he means by that in the family relationships. But notice the overarching theme of this is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Christian, your whole life is to be characterized by a chosen mutual submission to other brothers and sisters in Christ. We mentioned it last week, we called it like a race to the bottom, trying to to humble yourself below others, mutually choosing to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. All right, so that's the framework. Now let's look at the details. I'm going to read the whole long passage and then we'll come back and look at the parts about the wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's the idea of we as Christians, we are the church, the bride of Christ. He is the groom. 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So not only is the metaphor of marriage, Christ the groom, church the bride, but also Christ is the head of the body, we are his body. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, quoted from Genesis there. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is not meant to be an exhaustive instruction on marriage and family relationships, but it is a very good place to start. There's foundational stuff in here. We're going to look at another passage near the end of the sermon. Put some more flesh on the bones there. But first, notice, as we talked about last week, that the call to sacrificial love is laid squarely on the shoulders of the Christian husband. That he is to love his wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. And what does that mean, Paul says, and gave himself up for her. So men, we are to, while still alive, lay down our lives for the good of our wives. That is the model given to us in Scripture. It is the pattern set for us by Christ himself as the groom of the church laying down his life for his bride. Now let's look at the instructions to the wives. It comes in the beginning of the passage and a little bit at the end of the passage. So what I'm going to do is remove the middle, which is talking to the men and what we dealt with last week, We're going to look at just the beginning and the end crammed together as a single passage to the wives. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then we skip all the way to the end, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, depending on your worldview, these verses could be a refreshing glass of cold water. Or they could feel like death. Or somewhere in between, right? Right? And we may have a whole spectrum of people here this morning. Let me suggest to you that these are the words of the ruler of the universe who loves you, who gave his son, who gave his life to save you so that you can be with him. And he is presenting to you something that, that may be very attractive, maybe not, may not be attractive at all to you, but that it is his good plan for your good it is his good design and it leads to human flourishing so let's trust that he knows what he's talking about and let's look at the details in verse 22 we see that this is being addressed holy spirit working through the pen of paul to address and give instructions not to women in general but specifically to wives in the church so though There's stuff in here that we could apply to women in general, and it provides a model for you in the future if you're thinking of getting married. If you are widowed, if you're divorced, if you're not yet married, then these verses don't apply directly to you today. This is specifically for those who are already married, but can be very helpful, especially for those who are intending to get married. These verses give us uh, a structure of authority. If you are a young lady and you're not yet married, then you are under someone's authority, but it's not under the authority of your husband. You are under the authority of your parents. So God would order it so that you're under the authority of your father and under the authority of your mother. And when you get married, then you come under the authority of your husband. You think, well, wait a minute. Why can't I just be my own woman? Why can't I just be my own authority in life? None of us are our own authorities in life. We are all under somebody's authority, ultimately all under God's authority. And he has ordered the world to function under a structure of authority. So my precious daughter, Katie, is engaged to Bryce. They're going to get married on December 27th. Right now, Katie is under my authority because God has chosen me to be the the father over her, to love, care for her, instruct her, discipline her, guide her, even though she's 21. You're 21, right? Okay, she's 21. There's a lot of them to keep track of, okay? So even though she's 21 and a young adult, she is still under my authority, under Jen's authority. Isn't that great news, Katie? It's great news, yeah, it's great. But on December 27th, I will hand her off and she will become under the authority of Bryce Henry. Fun fact, she will become Catherine Henry. Now, my wife's maiden name is Ketter Heinrich or Ketter Henry or almost like Catherine Henry. So she's gonna go in full circle there. But anyway, she's gonna be placed under Bryce's authority and he better do a good job, right? I'm going to need some of you guys to help me teach him a lesson. I don't think I could do it myself. He's a big guy. Anyway, we're all under somebody's authority. Right now, Katie is an unmarried young woman. She's under my authority. She will come under the authority of her husband when she is married. Look at also in verse 23. Notice that it says, A wiser to submit to their own husbands. So, not to somebody else's husband, or not just to men in general. it's not like God is a chauvinist and always prefers men over women, and so every man is somehow in charge or in authority over every woman. That is not the case at all. Wives are called to submit specifically to their own husbands. Now, why would I bring this up? Well, I've known some guys who claim to be Christians who believe that somehow they have authority as young, unmarried men over young, unmarried Christian sisters in the Lord. And they would point to this verse erroneously as somehow trying to back that up. See, God's made this structure, and you know, men are over what? No, it doesn't say that. It says husbands are in authority over wives. It's important to understand that the words are in there on purpose. You submit to your own husbands. Women, you are not second-class citizens. You are valued and loved by God, daughters of the king of the universe. You are not to be ruled over and squashed and harmed by men. Notice also in verse 22, it says that she should submit to her husband as to the Lord. What does this mean? I'm going to say there's basically two very important meanings in this. First is the matter of comparison. Comparison. So the Christian wife is called to submit to her husband in the same way or like the church submits to Christ. So she submits as though she was submitting to Christ. For the husband is serving as the authority delegated to him by Christ. We might think of it this way, in a comparison this way. The the relationship, the way that the, the church is related to Christ is similar to the way that the wife is related to the husband. Draw it out like that. Now if we switch the words around, we could say, just as Christ loves and leads the church, so the husband is to love and lead the wife. Just as the church is to Submit to the husband's love and leadership. I'm sorry, Christ's love and leadership. So the wife is to submit to the love and leadership of her husband. Now that is quite the challenge, isn't it? We might bristle at that. Now the other meaning of this, as to the Lord part, is in the scope or in the boundaries. So we could translate this as, as to the Lord, we could say in the Lord, or we could even trying get the meaning of, say, submit to your husband as he is in the Lord. So his authority is in the Lord. You submit to him as he is in the Lord, or as he submits to the Lord. Now, I realize I've added a bunch of words in there that aren't actually in there, but the meaning of the original contains those ideas. So this is important. This is where ranked authority comes in. Wives, if you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord... Is he leading in a way that he is in the Lord? And if you follow, you will be in the Lord. Or is he leading you out and in rebellion? Authority is always ranked. God is always your highest authority. And if a lower authority is telling you to disobey a higher authority, dishonor a higher authority, you have to rebel against the lower authority in order to be in submission to the higher authority you do that respectfully you can do that gently you do it firmly say my highest authority is the lord himself so this can work out in different ways in life in different spheres for example there's a public school teacher in ireland this week who is in prison so He refused to address a transgender student by the transgender student's preferred pronouns. It's a male student, wants to be referred to as they or she. The teacher refused to do that because the teacher is a Christian and says, God has designed this world with male and female. Gender is is, uh, defined by sex. It is not a social construct. It is reality, and it would be rebellious against my creating Lord if I refer to someone that he has created as a male as a female. Now, he did that in a respectful, calm way, but he he repeatedly refused to call this student by the chosen pronouns, and so he was fired, and now he is in prison in Ireland. Ranked authority led to that. God is the highest authority. His boss or the school board or whatever says, you got to do this, but no, God says... This. That is an example of following a ranked authority. Or it may look like this. Imagine yourself as a ten year old. Some of you are like, Well, I'm ten years old, that's pretty easy. Imagine yourself as a ten year old and your parents have gone out on a date and they've left the sitter in charge of you at home. The sitter is bored and wants to watch an R rated horror movie. Now you know that your parents do not want you to watch such movies, but you are curious about such movies. Maybe even just because you've been told no, you can't watch them, that makes you curious about them, right? And so you rationalize in your head. You think, well, mom and dad are in authority, but they've delegated the authority to the sitter, and the sitter's inviting me to watch the movie, and so I'm kind of honoring my parents if I honor the authority of the sitter. Now, that's not going to fly when mom gets home, right? The higher authority always trumps the lower authority. All right, let's go back. Let's read the next couple of verses and keep moving here. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So this structure of submission in marriage is theological. It points to spiritual, godly realities, because Christ is the head of the church, and the church here is described as the body of Christ. Does the head take direction from the body? No. Receives signals from the body, makes decisions, but does not take direction from the body. If the head is giving instructions to the body, and the body is not responding, or the things are getting mixed up, or the body is just rebelling, you get a disordered, or we would say disabled body. So I think of our precious Owen, his brain is very damaged, spinal cord is damaged, and he is, for the most part, unable to tell his body what to do. His head and his body are not in sync with each other, and that is not what God wants for the family or for the church. In the church, the people of the church are to be in submission to the head who is Jesus Christ. Likewise, God has ordered the family so that the husband would be the head of the family and the wife would choose to submit to her loving and leading husband. He is to love and to lead for her good and she is to willingly submit for her good. That is the way that family was created and ordered to be. There's lots of examples how that is messed up how it is abused. I understand. But the way God designed family was to work in that order. At this point, the book of Ephesians focuses on the husbands for a bunch of verses. We're going to skip over that. We're going to go to verse 33 where we get back to the idea of women. We see here in 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, kind of sums it up in the end, and he takes the word respect and sticks it in there, standing in there for the idea of submission. So we see that submission and respect are tied to each other. Let me make this important observation. Respect is a verb. It's not a state of mind. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. It's an action. So we kind of... We tend to think of people, like people that we don't know. We say, well, oh, I really respect him or her as a leader or an author or whatever, right? That's not really true. We may regard them highly, but we don't so much respect them because we don't even know them. Respect is a personal thing, and it's a choice. Just like submission, its counterpart here is a choice. So wives, you are given the choice to Submit to respect your husbands. Now, what if your husband is not in the Lord? What if your husband is leading off in a direction that you know is wrong? Well, ranked authority tells you when to submit and when not to submit. But most of the things that you are called to submit in are not leading you off in those giant theological directions. Like, do I submit to God or do I submit to my husband? Because for the most part, our choices to submit, whether it's a wife to a husband, Christian to another Christian, uh, a church member to church leadership, uh, a citizen to the government, whatever it is, most of the times when we're talking about submission, it's the regular everyday things that are not a big deal, but still they get underneath our fingernails, or fingernails on the chalkboard, or they just bug us, and our, our selfishness and our pride rises up, and we want to rebel. So we must choose to submit, choose to respect I'd like us to turn now to the book of Titus, so page 998, chapter 2 of Titus. We're going to look at the first five verses. This, this is written by the same guy, Apostle Paul, but instead of writing to a group of churches like the book of Ephesians was written to, this is to, written to a young guy, a pastor, who is doing his best to lead a congregation, and he really needs some help and some instruction. So Paul writes to Titus, gives him instruction on how to lead and how the church should function. And he says this, chapter 2 of Titus. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords or what aligns up with or what flows from or matches with sound doctrine. He's he's saying teach people to live their lives in a way that lines up with the right teachings, the right truths, so that there's integrity between what you believe and how you act. That's what he's getting at there. He's going to get some examples, and we're going to pick it into pieces and focus on just the women. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So, it's different roles there we've got older men and if we read verse six we didn't get to yet we've got younger men we've got older women and we've got younger women now how do we draw those lines well picking a particular year or age is not going to be very helpful for us so let's think about it this way if you are what we would just call a young woman or if you are in the younger end of the spectrum or think about it this way if you are bearing or raising children you're a younger woman If your child-raising days are behind you, maybe you're collecting grandkids at this point, you are one of the older women. Notice, Paul gives instructions to the older women. He's He's got an idea of the mission that they have. He doesn't say, congratulations, you've raised your kids, now just retire from life and just have a great time, live for yourself. He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he presents a picture of older women coming alongside, mentoring, training, encouraging, helping younger women to do specific things. He starts with character qualifications for the older women, just like when he talks about, Character qualifications for elders and deacons, it's the character that comes first, the skills, the abilities, those are secondary. Character is first. He describes character of a godly older woman, and she is to help raise and train the younger women to be godly younger women. What does that look like? Here's what he says. They are to teach what is good, and he gives some examples. So train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, Pure, working at home, kind, submissive, to their own husbands. Now, if love is an emotion, this doesn't make any sense at all. But if love is a choice, then this makes sense. An older woman can come along beside a younger woman and say, "I'm going to help you choose to love your husband and your kids," and then continue down the list. There. Why do they need help? Because this is really hard. Really. So sometimes it's great sometimes it's really hard and you need help now I know when you, when you got married you thought man, it's just always going to be a joy and so easy to love by hunk of a husband and you found out pretty quickly that there are going to be some challenges and when that baby was born you're just looking into their eyes and the innocence you think, ah, it's the most natural thing in the world to love this child and they get a little older and it's not so natural anymore to love this child in fact sometimes love is the last thing on your mind they're driving you up the wall you need help and you need training and that's true for all humans through all generations your husband and your kids are going to try your patience and they're going to push your buttons and they're going to drive you crazy sometimes and when it's hard to love your husband and your kids The training must kick in. So will you choose to love him when it's hard? And how will you do that? Wouldn't it be amazing if you had an older woman that was coming alongside of you, helping you to walk in the Lord and to love your husband and to love your wife, to encourage you, to pray for you, to back you up when you're challenged, to be there as a coach and to be as an ally. Older women, maybe you had somebody like that when you were young. Maybe you're thinking, man, I could have benefited so much by somebody like that. You can be that for a younger woman today. Now, he says more than just love your husbands and your kids, though. He, he puts together this not complete, but pretty impressive list of things. So he wants the older woman to train the younger woman to be self-controlled. We don't know what kind of threats to self-control they were dealing with in that culture but there's plenty of threats to self-control in this culture do you need help being self-controlled self-disciplined it's god's plan that an older woman would come beside you and help you in that what else he says be pure now satan wants to destroy purity he hates purity especially for god's beloved daughters No matter what you have been through, what your past holds, what has happened to you, what you have chosen to participate in, in Christ, you are made pure. And you're called to guard that purity. And your husband is called to guard that purity. How are you tempted to corrupt that purity? It's different for everybody. How do you need help? And will you ask somebody to help you with that? Next on the list, working at home. Ladies, the word of God tells us that we should not expect you to be fulfilled through a career. You can work, you can have a career. Don't expect that to fulfill you. Because you are hardwired to find great fulfillment in your relationship with your husband and with your kids. That's how God has ordered this world. God has designed you to be the primary caregiver, nurturer, instructor, and guide for your kids. Don't fall for the lie of our culture that those things are not worthy of your entire life. Motherhood is a high calling. Your kids deserve the best of you, not what is left over. Culture says you must contribute to society the economic engine. You pay somebody to raise your kids for you. That is not how God designed the family to work. Many of you, though, are familiar with Proverbs 31, or the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31 lays out this beautiful picture of what a godly woman would be, and interestingly, one of the things that Proverbs 31 focuses on is this idea of working, of making money, of being a good steward, of investing, of making a profit. But that is given as a picture of success in the context of the home because that Proverbs 31 woman prioritizes the home over the job. I know some of you will bristle at that. Let me just say, God loves you. And his plan is best. It is the path of blessing. What's next? It says, be kind. Sometimes we need help being kind. Because sometimes we've had a, day, a bad day, a bad week, bad month, bad year, whatever it is. And our husband is being a doofus. And our kids are driving us up the wall. And it's hard to be kind. And yet God calls us to be kind. And so when you want to scream and run away from responsibility, who can you call He said, please pray for me. Can we get together and have coffee? Can I tell you what's going on? And can you encourage me in the Lord? Who will do that for you? And then Paul wraps it up with this repeated call of wives to submit to their, again, own husbands. It's like he knows it needs to be repeated because it's hard to do. But then look at the last part because this is bigger than just your marriage and your family. That the word of God may not be reviled. When a husband and wife mutually submit to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and when a wife chooses to submit to the husband as the head, as the, as the church submits to Christ as the head, when that self-sacrificial love of the husband And the the chosen submission of the wife, when they dance together as a beautiful, graceful dance, beautiful things are born. The picture of what God designed a marriage and a family to be serves as an illustration and it's attractive and it awakens in hard hearts the desire for God's original plan. Rosaria Butterfield is a good example of this. She's an author that I recommend to you. I'll put her picture on the screen here. The book that I would recommend first is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Rosaria's heart was rock hard against God and his plan. She was a radical feminist in a lesbian relationship she saw it as her goal to destroy the faith and the traditional family values of all of the students who came into her classes at Syracuse University. She hated God and God's order for the universe. And she met a pastor and his wife, and they befriended her. They brought her into their home over and over again. They answered her questions. They let her throw her tantrums. They loved her, and they modeled for her what a Christian marriage could be. She hated men. She hated the idea of marriage. She hated the idea what she would think of as the patriarchy. And then she saw a marriage where the husband self-sacrificially loved his wife as Christ loves the church where the wife chose to submit herself to the loving and leading of her husband. And she saw this over the course of months and years, and it blew her mind, it short-circuited her, and it softened her heart. And God used that marriage, fashioned after the pattern of the scriptures, to bring Rosaria to saving faith in Christ. Now she's married, she's got kids, she's writing amazing books, and she is encouraging women all over the world in the plan of God. I love that story because it's, it's a marriage that serves as the softening agent for the heart. Your marriage could be that. that helps soften the heart of a hard, unbelieving person. What would it be like for someone who believes that, that marriage is to be avoided at all costs because it puts the woman in subjugation underneath a man, and, and, and that's an evil thing. If someone believes that, and yet they see the dance of mutual submission and loving sacrifice and chosen respect, and they, they see this working out in a beautiful, loving, encouraging marriage, what could God do through that? but the opposite is also true. And that's what Paul warns about here. This is the last thing for today. When the husband is selfish and harsh and unloving to his wife, even if he claims to be a Christian and he's got scripture passages memorized and he can argue doctrine with the best of them, if he's not loving his wife, he's not representing his Lord. Likewise, likewise, Christian wife, rather than choosing to respect and place herself under the love and leadership of her husband, rises up in pride and tries to be the bigger authority and promotes herself. And it doesn't matter how much she talks about Jesus, she is not representing her Lord. And Paul's warning here is, the disordered marriage leads to the reviling That is the hating, the criticism, the rejection of what? Of the Word of God. That's scary, right? Because you could have have a marriage that leads to people who observe your marriage rejecting the Word of God. That should sit very heavily upon us. But God's plan for marriage is beautiful. And it's modeled after the marriage between Christ and his church. That's the great reality that points us to the lesser reality of what human marriage should be. God's call and his invitation to you today is to experience the good life according to his good design. Where are you out of that design? where do you need to repent, bring yourself under the authority of your Lord, and fashion your marriage after the example of Christ loving his church and the church submitting to Christ. He is worthy of a life like that. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray for all the existing marriages in this congregation. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you shape them? Marriage is, is hard. It's a challenge sometimes, Lord, and and maybe some people are just really worn out, and they might not even feel particularly encouraged by the message today, Lord. But I, I pray that somehow you would you would work in them, help them to see the beauty of a life and a marriage surrendered to you, submitted to you, shaped by you. But I pray for the the men in this congregation who are living selfish lives, Lord. Would you? convict them, bring them to repentance and may they know, know the joy and the fulfillment of walking in the pattern that you have set of Christ loving the church and giving his life for her. And Lord, for the, for the women who need to know the security and the love and the rest that comes from choosing to submit to you as the highest authority and their husband as a delegated authority but they're scared to do it, Lord, History has taught them in the past that it's not a wise thing. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would work miraculously in their marriages. I pray, Lord, if their husband does not know you, that you would bring them to faith in Christ soon and, and reestablish that marriage on the solid foundation of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are in dangerous situations that you would bring alongside people who would help them, pull them to safety. Lord, for those who are young and need coaching, would you please uh, send out some of the older women in order to engage the younger women and help them be godly lovers of their husbands and of their kids. We need each other. We need you working through each other, shaping us into the husbands, wives, parents that you've called us to be. You, Lord Jesus, are worthy of Radical change in our lives. So Lord, if you want to make those changes in any of us, make it clear to us, please. Help us to submit ourselves to you, the ruler of the universe, who is worthy of all of our praise, all of our obedience, and our full submission. In Jesus' name, amen.